0: Hey, this is Darcy Rowling, and welcome to the Women 17 podcast, Conversations with Global Women Changing the World, One Sustainable Development Goal at a Time. In each fortnightly interview, we'll learn about these women's journeys, challenges, successes, which SDGs their work contributes to both globally and locally, as well as hear tips on how our listeners can participate in the advancement of the Sustainable Development Goals. Hi, listeners. Today is a really special day for us here at Women 17. I am speaking to a fellow Pittsburgher, Sloane Davidson. She is the founder and CEO of Hello Neighbor, which is an organization that works to improve the lives of recently resettled refugees and immigrant families through mentorship. Um, And their ultimate goal is to help families feel more comfortable and confident in their new lives in Pittsburgh. So welcome, Sloane.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really so excited to be here today with this conversation with you. Oh,
0: thank you. I really appreciate it. And so excited to speak to a fellow Pittsburgher. So finally.
1: <laughs> so, I know. You. It is It is so fun with things that like kind of happen nationally, you know, and then you find your, your pockets of people. I just got back from a conference and there were, in Vancouver, Canada, and there were two other Pittsburghers. And I'm telling you, when we saw each other, we like squealed, you know, it was like so exciting to see someone you know and get to do that. So I totally agree with you whenever I get to find good Pittsburgh people and have a, a conversation about Hello neighbor. I'm excited.
0: Oh, that's great. I'm so happy. Yeah, we and for anybody who's not from Pittsburgh, yeah, it was voted. When I was younger, it was voted like the most livable city. Um, I don't know if that's still around, that, that kind of uh, uh, survey and as such, but it was always ranked really high and everyone in Pittsburgh super friendly. So, uh, yes, so happy to have this conversation with my fe- fellow Pittsburgher or Yinzer if you want to use Pittsburghese, which we won't <laughs> today. Um, so there's a, a lot for us to cover today. Um, and so before we get started, I would love to tell you a little bit about Sloan, uh, who is incredibly accomplished woman. Um, prior to starting Hello Neighbor, um, Sloan spent 15 years in the nonprofit international development and social impact sector. Um, she is perhaps most well-known for um, her cos-based blog, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, The Cosmopolitan, um, which she operated from 2008 to 2015. Um, Sloane is an active philanthropist and an advocate and currently sits on the board of Indiana University's Lilly School's um, Women's Philanthropy Institute. And she also sits on the board of Resolve Network, which is an NGO based in the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, which focuses on jobs for women in post Conflict countries through microfinancing. Um, and in 2009, Sloan served as a Kiva Fellow in the Philippines, which I, of course, am going to dive into a little bit um, since I spent a lot of time in Asia myself. So, um, And among many of the other hats that Sloan wears, um, Sloan is also the Gender Equity Commissioner for the City of Pittsburgh, whose mission is to achieve. Equity for Women and Girls in the City. And in 2018, Sloan was named to the Pittsburgh Magazine's 40 Under 40 and was included on the Incline's Who's Next Philanthropy. Um, And during that same year, she was also named as an immigrant advocate of the year, excuse me, she was named the immigrant advocate of the year by Global Pittsburgh, a finalist for the Distinguished Individual Leadership Award at Coro Pittsburgh's Martin Luther King Jr. Awards, and she received recognition from Park Place A.M.E., which is the African Methodist Episcopal Church, as well as St. Andrew's Episcopal Church for her community service and dedication to the city of Pittsburgh. Wow, that's fantastic! <laughs> I feel like I need to get back to this city. I've done nothing for the city. I just live overseas. <laughs> Pittsburgh, I mean, the city I love.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I can tell you that. I, I I do a lot of things for Pittsburgh because I just love the city so much. And I spent about 15, 16 years living away. I'm from here originally. I lived away for a long time. And part of moving back was I just wanted to have a hyper local impact and I wanted to bring an international focus to that work. And so Like I could talk a lot about you know the impetus for Hello Neighbor and how that came to be, but a big part of sort of a lot of those accolades and things you mentioned is I have just like so fully poured my heart into being a really strong community member in Pittsburghs in the six years that I've been back, and a a big part of that is founding and leading Hello Neighbor. Um, But I just really think when I look around at what's happening in our culture, in our country, in our conversations. I just just feel that there's so much that we can do on an individual basis to build community and build community cohesion and build spaces and places to have conversations of all kinds, you know, difficult ones and good ones. And that's like, I think a lot about the context of what you're reading about is just, um, you know, when you put your time and energy into something you believe in, sometimes good things can happen.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I'd say two things, uh, just to comment about myself, is that, so I, and, and I, I will finish that you have also, as with me, we both have a master's in uh, public international affairs from the University of Pittsburgh. Yours is in um, public policy and management um, from Gispia, Graduate School of Public International Affairs. Um, so hail to Pitt, we need to say that. Hail to Pitt. <laughs> um, um, but what, uh, what's interesting is when I finished my degree, which was quite a long time ago, um, I I, you know, you're spot on. I mean, as far as international, Pittsburgh was not very international at the time. Hence, I moved to DC. Hence, I moved overseas. So I didn't have that opportunity to sort of... uh, sort of, you know, have an international career per se, or, a, you know, a broad ranging career in Pittsburgh at that time. Now I'm a lot older. So, um, but I just love that you're able to pull all these threads and bring this back home and make this impact in the local community. So, and, and the second thing I was going to say is me being an expat for such a long time, um, you know, you kind of shift and move and it's very hard as an expatriate, particularly when you're not in your native tongue to make an impact. So, um, which I think we'll get into as far as, um, as as far as uh, the work that you're doing at Hello Neighbors. So um, so love to just kick off um, first and foremost with your career started in marketing. Um, so I, I love to, um, uh, for our interviewees to, to sort of share their journey because I think we have a lot of young listeners sort of see, you know, sometimes we think our careers are quite linear and actually they're not. So they're peppered with all kinds of different um, roads you go down and as such. So I'd love it if you could just talk about a little, a little bit about how your career started in marketing. That would be great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I I have not had a linear path. I think if any of your listeners, I, I always say I have like a cat. I'm a cat with 20 lives. Like I've had a lot of different careers. I've lived in a lot of different cities. I, I moved around a lot. Um, it wasn't necessarily my dream to found something, and especially not a nonprofit. And I actually founded Hello Neighbor when I was 37. So for anyone out there that's sort of thinking their time hasn't come or they haven't found what they were, seeking or searching for to find like real meaning and impact in their lives I would say like keep doing the work to learn about yourself and what motivates you you know I sort of say like my my driving questions have always been um, do I feel like the work I do matters that is important to me and how do I feel at the end of the day and then a third one might be like, who do I surround myself with? And if those questions had good answers, then I felt like I was on my, on my way. Um, to give you a little bit of my background, uh, I always had been very nonprofit, give back, volunteer, and do things. But interestingly, when I was in college, I didn't consider a nonprofit career. I think that at the time, that wasn't the path that I was sort of thought or taught to follow. And so you know, my first job was actually at a big accounting firm in marketing because I thought I was supposed to go out and get a big, big job. I thought I was supposed to go out and get a big, supposed to, right? (laughs) In brackets. And and I, I feel very strongly that that experience taught me what I absolutely do not want. And it's been a really good lesson for me. I don't do well in a tall office tower building. I hope this interview doesn't come back one day. And <laughs> it might be <laughs> when like, I we expand our off- Hello Neighbor offices somehow. We're downtown Pittsburgh in a big high rise. But um, I, yeah, I remember that it was in Boston, and I was doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing, and I remember that I was always sort of running a couple minutes late, and I would get off the T the and be walking across Copley Square and feeling like the only time I felt alive all day was when the front of my shins started to burn because I was walking so fast to like get to work on time that's just like this core memory that I developed where I just didn't feel like I was making the difference I was supposed to make. And I didn't know how to find what I was supposed to do. And I didn't feel alive. And that's really hard when you graduate college and you think like the whole world's ahead of you. So it really set me on this journey on this path where I did want to feel like I was making a difference. I came to marketing, I want to say naturally, because I've always been a communicator this is going to age me a little bit. I'm so sorry for your younger listeners. This is crazy. When I was in college, everyone didn't have a cell phone and you had a answering machine in your dorm room. And I changed my message every day to be like, hi, it's Tuesday. I'm going to be at the library until four. And then I'm going to go to the gym and then I'm going to go to my job. And if you, and people would like come and find me, they'd be like, oh, you said you were going to be at this place at seven. Like that's, I was like a communicator. Like, and I gathered people, like organized volunteer opportunities. Like I gathered, So marketing and communications, when it kind of emerged as a field that was interesting to me, social media came very naturally to me to share. It didn't ever feel like, oh, I'm oversharing. That didn't occur to me it was like oh I'm just telling people what's going on mm-hmm. um, but because I had cared about nonprofits it, it also seemed to me like this really natural fit between social good and nonprofits and the power of social media and so a lot of my background and jobs that I've had is how you could bring marketing social media to the nonprofit space and tell a compelling story in a way that makes people want to stop scrolling and like take an action. And that's probably without getting into Darcy, because we could talk for six hours about all the jobs and careers I've had. So I'll just like generally say that I've had this like thread of how you communicate effectively about ways that you want to make the world a better place or your community and like how to have an impact and do that.
0: Yeah. Well, f- well, first of all, I just would like to comment that when I went to university, we didn't have computers. So, <laughs> so if you want to g- do the quick math on that one, I didn't have I was using a typewriter. So anyway, but I think that um I think it's it is really uh, what you've said is that communication, I mean, that is, you know, how you storytell and how you you engage with people to tell them the story to get them to rally or as you were saying, you know, getting people to gather and congregate and- around a certain cause that's a real skill set and um, an imperative in the development world in in marketing as a whole but uh, but I think certainly in development particularly if you're looking at fundraising i mean you really have to be an excellent communicator um, in order to convey the message and to get the support that you need whether it's funding or you know whatever it is that you require for um, for the nonprofit so so you so shifting a little bit so you as I shared it the intro. So you, uh, it's not really shifting. We're just going to pull on a little another thread, um, which was international development. So you started to focus in international development and social impact sector. So kind of how did that sort of transpire? I mean, was it after your your shins were burning
1: so much that you <laughs> ran away from the tall building in Boston? <laughs> well, I think so. I had a couple of roles that were more focused on fundraising. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think that's really interesting on in nonprofits, traditionally, this isn't actually how I how I lead Hello News, and that's on purpose Um, but fundraisers don't get to do a lot of programmatic work and programmatic people don't often get exposure to fundraising and impact so I was working in nonprofits in fundraising development communications but I wasn't actually doing program work and I really wanted to see what that experience would be like and after sort of burning out um, of a a job uh, a startup for social good in 2008 when I was living in Los Angeles I applied and was awarded a Kiva fellowship. And Mm so um, I went and lived in the Philippines for my fellowship for six, seven months. Traveled for another... I'm going to interrupt you. Sorry. Could you just share with um, listeners if they're not familiar with Kiva? Could you share a little bit about Kiva also? Yeah. So Kiva is a microfinance um, institution and basically microfinance has existed around the world for a very long time. And the concept is that, you know, there are a lot of people around the world that live on $1, $2 a day. And if, and so it's very hard for them to save money and to do things like start a business or like move themselves economically forward. And so Kiva is a lending platform that was founded here in the US, actually co-founded by a fellow Pittsburgher, Jessica Jackley, um, and Matt Flannery. And so I don't remember the year, but let's say it was founded around 2005, maybe like give or take. And um, it's a way for everyday people, anyone listening, you can go to kiva.org, you can create a portfolio of people around the world, and then you can make micro investments. And that goes directly to those people to help them, you know, move their lives forward. And they have a fellowship program where anyone can apply. apply just like any other fellowship you would have and you can go be embedded within a microfinance institution somewhere around the world within their portfolio and help them with a specific project so you're sort of like a strategy consultant for a period of time my placement not surprisingly was on communications and was on like how they they capture the stories of the clients that they had and so i was placed in the philippines it was my i had traveled internationally quite a bit but mostly to westernized countries. And so this was one of my first, if not my very first time, traveling alone to a different part of the world. I had never been to Asia before. And I went, and I was in very rural parts of Philippines. I was also in the capital Manila periodically because uh, I had to go back there for the stronger Wi-Fi to like file <laughs> a lot of the stories and do what I needed to do. Mostly though, I was at, you know in these very small towns in these provinces, and I really found that I have a way. I think it's because I'm an empath. I'm a compassionate person. I. I didn't mind being in these really rural villages with, you know, no electricity, electricity or running water, and taking bucket showers, and you know, sleeping in thatched huts, and sitting on the floor with women and children, and capturing the stories of how microfinance had changed their life. There was an ease to that for me. It wasn't. Um, hard to do it's a hard life for sure and uh, i know that i was only temporarily there i'm aware of like my my privilege of being able to choose to be there and then choose to leave but i I realized that that was something that i i was really uniquely qualified for and so for a lot of the other intern, so i decided to focus a chapter of my career on international development and so part of that was um finding projects and working on country working on projects in a number of other countries i did a project in guatemala in Ghana and Democratic Republic of the Congo and Haiti and a few other places. And I would go there for anywhere from, you know, a couple of weeks to a couple of months. And I just found that I could do that well. Um, I could sit on the floor, maybe if we didn't share a language, I was working through an interpreter, but I could create a, a, a safe space in order to do the work that I needed to do. And when it came time to found Hello Neighbor, that same thread was there, like being able to be in the home of someone that had a language barrier or we had a cultural barrier, but being able to find a common thread and be comfortable. And um, the only real difference was that for this one chapter, it was internationally focused. And for the chapter I'm in now, it's international, but here at home and you know really hyper-local.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's lovely, and I, uh, you know, and to have all of those experiences um, and sort of harness them to where you are now with Hello Neighbor, it's a, it's extraordinary. Um, I would love to ask you just a little bit. You, you know, you were in conversations when you were in the Philippines. I've spent a lot of time in the Philippines myself. Um, certainly not in the conditions that you are. I spent most of my time. Um, in Manila or in, you know, scuba diving or somewhere, somewhere, um, somewhere else within the communities. Um, I'm just curious to know what was the feedback from the women that you were speaking to as a Kiva fellow? What was the feedback? Like, you know, that this micro financing, how was it impacting them, their families, their children, their communities? Um, I think that's a really, cause you were on the ground, you were actually speaking with them directly. I'd love to just get a little, if you can maybe tell us about, um, sort of in general or anyone specific, um, who who um, a Kiva microfinance loan um, impacted?
1: Yeah. So, you know, one of the core tenets of microfinance is you start small with the loans and you grow over time. So you're teaching people financial literacy or financial skills as they go. So an example might be someone comes and they borrow ten dollars and you're part of a cohort. So I can think of one woman in particular. So she Um, at the time was just doing some very basic farming in her backyard and selling those goods um, to her neighbors but she felt like there was a way to sell more goods but there was no way to get to some of the neighboring villages so the first thing that she did was borrow a little bit of money and they have a weekly meeting it's actually a really nice community piece to it so you're not just borrowing and sort of isolated You go to a meetup that happens weekly, somewhere like a little community center, thatched hut in your village. Everyone shares the progress of what they've been doing. And then you pay back little by little. So you might pay first a dollar and then another dollar. And once it's fully repaid, if you got $10 that first time, you could maybe apply for 20 or 30 for your second. And it grows from there. So this particular woman I'm thinking of, you know, started off where she just wanted to plant a little bit more and grow her output. From there, she borrowed to build a little stand that was sort of like outside her house, Um, American laws. We couldn't do this because of zoning and our legal system. But for a lot of parts of the world, you have a, you say, I want to sell something and you just put a little bit of wood up, you know, outside your door and there you go. So she did that repaid that loan and she had a son of working age and they were able to buy a moped um, and then she was able to put a basket on the back and he could drive around to some of the villages um, to be able to sell more of those goods and the story can go from there and what happens in a lot of parts of the world um, most uh, a lot of microfinance is focused on women the studies do show that women are more likely not exclusive but more likely to invest money back into their families. Men tend to not do that and spend it outside the home on um, on other things. And so the majority of microfinance and my experiences were with women. If you go to the Kiva website today, there are men on the site and I definitely encourage people not to only have that lens of, you know, what they think poverty looks like. Um, you know, it exists all around the world and, and everyone on, on that site or that's, in, you know, invested in helping their families forward has a really compelling story to share. But in my experience. And most of the people I worked with in the Philippines, it was women. And so this particular you know woman I'm thinking of was really able within three to five years to drastically move forward her family. And what I mean by that is not just the business, but what happens when you have more income is that she was able to turn around and replace the thatch with a corrugated roof. For people who don't know, that's sort of like that aluminum roof you've maybe seen photos of, but that means when it rains or in a monsoon season that, you know, you're house isn't going to get wet over time. You can also change the outside structure of the house, put in real windows, put in a real door, um, you know, maybe be able to build like a little outhouse, improve your, your cooking shelter, um, area, which is also outside the home. So, you know, you're, you're still, people are still living in fairly meager uh means but really able to make significant impact in their home and then that starts to impact other things too the health of your family so you know if you're not getting sick all the time because your house isn't getting wet you know the health of you and your children improve um it it costs a little bit of money to go to school in most parts of the country a couple dollars and you have to buy a uniform for your children and so for a lot of people their kids can't go to school year-round because they can't afford it when you're making that dollar a day and, and you have to make tough decisions so then you're able to send your kids consistently to school so then your kids are able to graduate from not just elementary or middle school but go on to high school and go on to different types of jobs so the long lasting effects of being able to break the cycle of poverty anywhere around the world are really quite substantial and and microfinance is definitely one of the ways that that, that can happen um, and, and I saw that impact directly and I also saw the impact directly of believing in somebody and believing in somebody's dreams And seeing them as a human and like bringing dignity and respect to what they want to do. And again, that ties so deeply to the thread of what we do at Hello Neighbor, where, you know, it's really, I think for a lot of people that live in poverty, that have to start their lives from scratch, that are in a marginalized community, it's hard to feel like a person when you're scraping by like every single day. And so even from that early experience at Kiva, what really stuck with me was how much it matters to make people feel seen it's about in microfinance. it is about the money it is about the loan and what they're able to do but i think it's equally about making somebody feel like their choices are their choices to make and that they have an opportunity to do better and that they have a support system that like believes in them and that being able to build confidence i think is just as important as anything else
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you kindly for mapping that out. I think that sort of showing how that cascades. is I mean it's probably it is, but I mean it's difficult, but to quantify, but you've just again beautiful communicator, <laughs> um, just really painted a really great picture because it does it will lift an entire family out of poverty, and as you said, you know, and then you know the children can get educated, then perhaps they get a better job and so forth and so on. So that's you know that cycle um, can be broken out of poverty, um, and you know for for quite a negligible amount of money. I mean I've I've sponsored Kiva. Um, you know, microfinancing loans myself. And in my previous company, we did this, we, each of the offices got some money and, uh, and, uh, sponsored loans and, you know, and as such. So, um, it's a great way to, you know, even, um, you know, for organizations to build that kind of, um, um, commodity and support for, for other people. So I think that that's great. And I appreciate you mapping that out. I think that's really, um, so again, Kiva, I can, I'll put it in, um, on my website if any, anyone's interested to learn more about that. Um, So um, I'd love to sort of switch gears a little bit now. um, And I'd love to start to talk about Hello Neighbor. Um, So I would like to know, there's a couple of things, So, um, but first I'd love to talk about what sparked your interest in starting a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting refugees in Pittsburgh. And secondly, while you're telling us that, I think it's really important. We're fellow Pittsburghers. We know what Hello Neighbor means, but I've got an international audience. um, So maybe you could explain
1: why you chose uh, the name Hello Neighbor. Thanks. Absolutely. So... Mr. Rogers is from Pittsburgh, and I would hope everyone around the world, you know, at some point knows Mr. Rogers, or a younger audience would know Daniel Tiger, which is part of the Mr. Rogers universe. Um, I grew up in a the same neighborhood where he lived, actually, and I think that the biggest lessons that I learned was how important it is to be a good neighbor. And when I was coming up with the idea for Hello Neighbor. Um, I I would say that I thought a lot about the name and if it could be universally known by people of different cultures, like different languages and what it would signify. And so I think the reason I picked hello is because I do fundamentally feel like the hardest step in doing something new in the Hello Neighbors case where we're directly matching refugees and immigrants with everyday Pittsburghers to help guide and support them in their new lives. I think the hardest step is the first step. I think people would say that for a lot of muscles that you build. I think philanthropy and volunteering is a muscle the same way that running a marathon is a muscle. No one gets up off the couch and says, I'm going to go run a marathon, right? You start by walking to your mailbox. You walk a mile, you learn to run a mile, you create a training plan, and then after a lot of dedication and time you're ready that's how I've always viewed giving back and I think for a lot of people they say that giving back is a someday activity when they have us you know when they can don't uh, donate a lot of money donate a lot of time donate a lot you know and it's kind of like pushed off and I've always said start small start anywhere feel good about what you can do instead of guilty for what you can't. You know, someone says I can donate five dollars, I wish it was ten. Someone says I donate a hundred, I wish it could be a thousand. People say I donate a thousand, I wish it could be a million. People say I donated a million, I wish it could be a hundred million. Right? Like we always have this way of sort of discounting our contribution to our community and to giving back. And so for me I think hello is signal is a signal to the first step. In building the muscle which is knocking on a door of a stranger and you know saying hello to a new neighbor and welcoming them and then the second word neighbor to me is something that's universal so for a lot of people they get labeled if you're a refugee that's a label but you're more than that you could be a mom a pharmacist a soccer player a kid you know you're a lot of different things to people I'm a lot of different things I'm an entrepreneur I'm a nonprofit founder but I'm a wife and a mom and a sister and a daughter and a friend and a baker and a gardener and you know there are other things so we are complicated that's part of the journey of being a human. And I think that to me, neighbor is something that's universal anywhere you live around the world. Um, be it if you have a next door neighbor right next to you, or you're in a rural or agrarian community and it's the next farm over, but you have somebody that is your neighbor. And so when I put them together to me, it it sort of was a signal to people that, you know, it starts with that first step that you take and that there is something universal to the idea that no matter where somebody is from or what their background is, um, that we all understand what a neighbor is and, and how we're supposed to treat that person who who is close to us. Um, to answer the second part of your question of sort of like the impetus of Hello Neighbor, I won't go too into it now if you want to sort of ask a follow-up so I don't go on and on, but I really moved back to Pittsburgh, my hometown, after a long time away because I deeply wanted to make a local impact. I felt like... Pittsburgh was changing at the time there was a newly elected mayor. There was a lot of talk about like a reinvention of the city you know, I often say, if you really love something, you can love it and want it to be better at the same time. So I think that Pittsburgh is a wonderful, affordable, family-oriented place. It also has a lot of work to do on being more welcoming of others and of being more supportive of some of the communities that are already here. Um, And so I just really wanted to be part of that. And I moved back, not knowing exactly what that would look like, but deeply committed to doing the work, to figuring it out. And as i I was working through that process um, at Gespia getting you know a mid-career's master's degree in public administration and and management, um, was during the election uh, in 2016, and so we started to see that anti-refugee, anti-immigrant rhetoric, the Muslim ban. I happened to meet a Syrian family at the time that was living in my neighborhood and, you know, got to know them. And what I really saw more than anything was that for the majority of refugees around the world, they're forced to flee their homes without having extended family near them. So for a lot of people around the world, and the Kiva example in particular I can speak to, um, most people around the world are still living in a neighborhood that's multi-generational, if not a home, right, where they're surrounded by, by the grandmas and the aunties and how do you help raise a family you know village raises a child mm-hmm. and refugees are really forced to leave all of that behind and to start over from scratch and it's a really hard road especially given that in the United States you get 90 days of initial support from the government from a settlement agency and that's it and any listener I am sure I hope are shaking their heads yes to say it's so hard after three months to imagine that you're just like set up for self-sufficiency if anyone has moved to a new city a new job a new right like three months is happens in the blink of an eye and if you're forced to flee you're facing trauma of leaving your country behind leaving your extended family behind something traumatic had to happen to make you leave your home and you have to start over, that's a really, really hard path. And so I sort of envisioned um, a space where everyday Pittsburghers, everyday neighbors could help in that journey. And that was really the, you know, the impetus for Hello Neighbor. And that was almost five years ago to the day.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And I, you know, thank you for mapping that out. And, you know, I I love the Hello Neighbor. I love that. And, you know, uh, you know, growing up with uh, watching Mister Rogers, myself, uh, the TV show, and and him as a philanthropist, a wonderful, wonderful man, um, giving back to the community in so many ways. I just that just makes my heart, um, I don't know, glow <laughs> with with using Hello Neighbor, and I like how you have um, sort of I wouldn't say repurposed it, but how you have conveyed it in a new way and brought new life to 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 what Fred Rogers would say with you know Hello Neighbor. So I love that. Um, you um, uh, and Hello Neighbor has matched um, uh, 72, uh, maybe I've got some old numbers here, but about 72 families um, from 11 different countries. Uh, and, and you've, as you've mentioned, you've got Pittsburghers that are helping to guide and to support them through um, all different life, life skills and, and cultural exchanges and as such, um, well beyond those 90 days, which I agree is just like, <laughs> you just can't even figure out how to turn the light in 90 days, you know, you're just basically opening up a bank account in 90 days, if you can. Um, And currently, um, you have um, marked about 4000 mentoring hours um, spent together. So this to me is just incredible um, impact that you've made in such a short amount of time, um, and impacting these people's lives. And I in fact, I remember when I was a child, and I grew up in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, um, it was just uh, during the Vietnam War, when we had received, a lot of the churches were bringing over Vietnamese refugees, families. And um, I remember this vividly, um, that uh, a Vietnamese family moved into the neighborhood. And I just, I was, I mean, this maybe speaks to my half of my life being overseas and in Asia. Uh, but I was just completely enthralled and excited to meet them and learn about their culture and spend time with them and share with them and of course they didn't speak very much English but it doesn't matter <laughs> like you said earlier it doesn't matter you know you still kick a ball the same way and you play the same way and and everything so it really it made a huge impact on me and that's just me I wasn't I wasn't the refugee I was just somebody that was playing with with the children and um, donated clothes and other other things to get them to start up their home, so, um, so I'd love if you could um, walk us through the program, your programs of resettlement and family services, and, and really, I mean, how does a refugee find uh, Hello Neighbor? Is, it, is how do you get matched to a mentor and all that process? I'm just curious as to how they would find you if they land in Pittsburgh.
1: Absolutely. So when we first started in 2017, our core program was a mentorship program. And that's like a big brothers, big sisters, but for refugee and immigrant families. Um, And the idea is that by directly matching those folks together, that they would build authentic and real relationships. The initial commitment is six months for about 10 hours a month. Um, many of those relationships have gone on. And in fact, a lot of them from that first year are still getting together and Hello Neighbor still helps support that. But we really wanted to create, I really wanted to create a space and a place where people could create a real relationship and it wasn't transactional. Um, and, and to do that takes a lot of work. And so that mentorship program, as that grew, and we built out the core values of Hello Neighbor, Our first core value is a refugee-first mindset, and what that means is that we always put the refugees at the center of the work. They inform the growth of our programs and what we do, and so as we were having conversations with families, um, a few other concepts for programs emerged when we said, where do you need some additional support? Our second program is called Smart Start, and that is specifically to help expectant moms and children. I'm the mom of two kids under six, so I understand how hard it is to navigate the American healthcare system or possibly any healthcare system around the world but especially here and um especially if you have language barriers or cultural barriers and so that was sort of the second program and then in covid we launched a program called study buddy where is remote learning for english language learners around pittsburgh and really the county and the preferred uh, term we do like to use here i think it's important for your listeners is english language learners english is a second language infers first of all that's their second language when for many refugees it's their third fourth fifth or sixth and it also very much puts this ideal of like. Americanism and, um, uh, speaking English at like the center. And so we really want to honor that people do have other life experiences and other things they've done. And so when I say English language learner, it's because that's just part of the journey, acknowledging that you likely have a lot of other languages and experiences, right. And it's not just the second. Um, and so as we've grown out the study buddy program, which is going to exist well beyond COVID and remote learning, because we really saw a need in helping these, you You know, students learn, especially since their parents weren't part of the American education system, they're going to be the first in their families to go through it. And that's going, you know, that's that's a big lift and that's a big project. Um, And all of those programs really started with refugees who were here 90 days and beyond. So we weren't doing direct resettlement that changed this past fall when we won our first federal contract to be a resettlement agency. And so for a lot of people, they said, I thought that's what you were doing the whole time. And I said, no, we've been starting at day 90. The only difference is now we do start at day one. And so by starting at day one, we are doing an airport pickup. We are getting people set up in permanent housing. We're helping, um, someone in the family, you know, start, uh, start a job enroll in an English class, kids enroll in school, make sure that they have have a cultural orientation, a bus orientation, get a bank account, get a social security number to pay taxes, get to do everything they need to do in that first 90 days. The difference is that they no longer have to have that drop off at 90 days because all the rest of our programs are a continuation. And so we can really help continue to support our new neighbors, our new arrivals, who are really aspiring Americans on that journey as they continue to be here. And throughout all of that work that we've done locally in Pittsburgh and throughout the county, we also launched a national project and that's called the Hello Neighbor Network. It is right now just in the U.S. So any international listeners you have, if you're interested in bringing the network to other countries where you are, please reach out and let me know. I'd love to have that conversation. But the Hello Neighbor Network is a place where we bring together grassroots leaders who are focused on supporting refugees and immigrants in their own communities. And, you know, being a founder is a lonely road being a refugee or an immigrant is a lonely road but one of the hardest parts about being a grassroots leader i have found is that with i have to create everything on my own I have a new program I have to program design program evaluation governance branding anything you want to do and that's the way it is with grassroots leaders all around the country and frankly all around the world and so what the hello neighbor network does is we found a way to bring those folks together in a collaborative non-competitive way to learn from each other and we started with eight organizations in eight states in 2018 and today I'm so proud to share that we have 100 organizations in 40 states that are signed up and this is really the way that I see we move the conversation forward on how to create a more welcoming and inclusive country and I think we do it neighborhood by city by community by state you know you do it on a hyper-local level but we can now say that we are participating in that work all around the country and really using Pittsburgh um, as a beacon for a lot of that work but saying that there's so much that we can learn from each other all around the country and how this is happening
0: I love that. And congratulations. That's wonderful that you have this um, national network um, and you're growing and expanding and sharing um, information. Um, so creating a village, basically, um, and being a, a village of changemakers in order to support each other. Um, I, I love that. And working at a local community, um, uh, obviously, where, where the grassroots efforts are um, emerging from. So um, so I wanted to ask you, just going back to, to what you had said, you know, before you were doing from the 90 days so you were doing post you know after the 90 days after the government uh, sort of funding uh, stopped um, what has is I would imagine um it would be easier when you're picking people up at the at the beginning stage of it. Um because then you can sort of tick all the boxes and make sure that during those ninety days that they've gotten like all the things that you said, you know, their social security number, la la la. Because I imagine at ninety days sometimes people haven't gotten all, all the things that they need. So um so I'm just curious as to sort of how, from your perspective, what are the benefits um, that you can provide, or the benefits of of being a um, being able to receive the refugees straight from the airport versus at that ninety days when they've sort of gotten in a little bit into the groove, so to speak?
1: Yeah. So, I actually want to first say that the way that the system is built in the U.S. and in most parts of the world, cause they actually now know how this this refugee system works all around the world. It's very routinized. There is not a lot of gray. There's not a lot of room to color outside the line. So when I described the core services that have to happen, they have to happen. And everything has to be case noted and documented. So I, I would say, you know, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that and always to have me um, hear conversations from people on like what people know and like what they don't know, because I, I actually think one of the biggest flaws in many of the human sector human service sector and social sector is that there there hasn't been a lot of education for everyday people on like how these systems work so most people don't know what happens with refugees what services they get what they don't get what that path is like for them what the financial support looks like versus what it doesn't look like and I think that's where we again get to a lot of this like anti-refugee immigrant rhetoric I think this is where we get to a lot of this polarization on how people feel about issues it's really seeped in not having experiences with refugees and immigrants, and then also not having education around it. And even for people who are super curious, like yourself, I can tell, right? Like people just tend not to know these things, and I didn't. It wasn't until I was, you know, I had spent all this time internationally and never turned the lens inward to think about what happened in my local community until I was at in graduate school and, and started volunteering and then working part-time at one of the resettlement agencies that at the time was here in Pittsburgh. And it was and it was that journey where I was just like wowed every day. Like I had no idea, every, I had no idea what happened. And so a big part of what I think now is like my job and the job of Hello Neighbor is to help share a lot more of that. So the first thing I just want to say is that everything that it, the refugees receive within the first 90 days is routinized around the country mm-hmm. no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really important because they have to be self, supposedly self-sufficient by 90 days, which is paying their own rent, paying all their own bills, like getting everything going. And also really important to note is that when refugees are coming in, they're not eligible for any low-income housing because they don't have income verification. They are not known, so you they have to pay market rates. Now Pittsburgh's a pretty affordable market, but even here we struggle with affordable housing. But imagine larger cities, coastal cities, you know, big cities. It's expensive really fast. So I think that you know the biggest thing that I've seen is that that day zero to one day day one to day ninety is the role of a case manager a lot and then yes there's space for community members there's actually a really innovative part of refugee resettlement that's called community sponsorship there's another called sponsor circles I, I can get into them a little bit if you want but it's basically this idea of how does a, an, an everyday community person like get more involved in the meat of refugee resettlement and how do people participate in that and it's done in Canada really well it's done in Germany really well there's parts of it in Australia like there's really great examples all over the world and hopefully more of them coming to the us very soon but i would just say that that day 1 to 90 is an incredibly hard part because people are coming here sight unseen city unseen you know some people do get to pick where they go but some people a lot of people do not and when i say pick i mean not just the country the city right like some people just say i put me anywhere and some people will say put me in the us or in canada or in france and then some people might say i want to be in this city or in this region it's it's really no two are the same um but it's a very very hard journey because you're literally starting from scratch with no money you know refugees are uh tend to be you know low income and families you know people of wealth Um, might choose to leave their country, but they would have a way to rebuild. So we're talking about people that are coming here with what they can literally carry on their back. You know, I go to airport pickups and we say, when they come off the plane, how many bags do you have? You know, and that's it. What they pick up from, if, if they have bags and baggage claim, that's literally all they have to their name, they've had to leave everything else behind and within 90 days have to completely start over. It's an incredibly tough journey. So when we won this federal contract, it's actually a really big honor. It's something that's I take very seriously. We are now directly responsible for bringing new people to the region every single year. We will be resettling between 100 to, let's say, 250 people per year. That's people who are going to be paying money in the grocery stores and paying taxes for potholes and teacher salaries and police pensions and buying homes and enrolling in college and buying cars and starting jobs, right? Like how many businesses in a local community can say they're directly responsible for that year over a year over a year. And that is where we will be. So we want to make sure we're setting people up for success as much as possible, but not defining what success means for them. Because I think something that's really important, um, is debunking this like American ideal of toxic productivity and capitalism and what we view success to be. Success can be very different per person. And so, yes, we wanna get someone set up in a job. That's just basic, like that you have to do that in order to survive and in order to thrive. But how you sort of define that, I think is a very individual process. And that's something that we really wanna do well here at Hello Neighbor in this new federal contract to make sure that we're welcoming people we're setting them up for success as defined by them and then we're here beyond that 90 days to let them know that regardless of federal policy of who's elected in office of what the media tells us to believe or not believe that we're not going anywhere hello neighbors here to stay and that will be true if we're living through a pandemic if we're living through you know an administration that doesn't support refugees or immigrants or if we're in a time where there's a lot of world crises that are happening that are you know causing a lot of market forces on us be it afghanistan ukraine or you know other places around the world that are not seeking you know not receiving the same media attention there's a lot that's going on right now and i think the most important thing is how do we make um an individual really feel welcome and seen Thank
0: you. And I appreciate you um, giving me um, some education on that, because you're spot on. I mean, I don't, I don't know what I don't know. So and you know, I'm, you know, I, you look at it from a different lens or lack of experience, or what you read in the news, or what you don't read in the news, and we make assumptions, um, which, you know, are usually, um, probably, in my case, quite off the mark. So, uh, so I think, no, I mean, not at all.
1: Honestly, yeah. it's so it's so universal that, you yeah. know, and that that people just don't know. And, and honestly, that's fair, because let's be honest, everyone is dealing with their own, right? Like the world is hard. (laughs) The world is hard right now. You know, we are all trying to do right by ourselves and by our families and, and figure out our path forward. So, you know, I don't at all have an expectation that anybody out there should understand the ins and outs of like my sector. I think, you know, sort of as we, as we come to close, as I think about my journey, I've really gone from a generalist to a specialist and it's been a great joy you know i i can speak on lots of parts of philanthropy and marketing and places around the world i've been but you know there's that saying spend 10,000 hours doing something and you'll become an expert And I, for five, six years now have dedicated, like literally every waking moment, being a founder is very hard, (laughs) um, to this issue, to this topic, to learning everything I can, um, across the board, across, across all lines. And something that I say a lot to people every day is part of my job as a leader is I have to learn new things every day. And I have to unlearn things Mm. because we have been taught things that are wrong we have been brought up under, you know, uh, uh, different things. And so I'm constantly learning and I'm unlearning, but I have become an expert in this one thing. And that's why I'm so happy to share it with you and with your listeners on this podcast, because, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have known it and I certainly don't expect everyone to, but if people can just take away a few nuggets, a story, uh, you know, a, a myth buster or something, and be able to take that to their dinner table, to their workplace, water cooler, to their place. Of worship and have this conversation about what it takes to build a welcoming, inclusive community, what it takes to say hello to a new neighbor, then, like, I will feel I have done my job today.
0: Yeah, well, most certainly. Thank you. And I I, thank you for sharing that. You're spot on. I I like what, you know, I mean, you you came at the beginning of this conversation and your move back to Pittsburgh was with great purpose and wanting to make an impact in the community. And clearly, um, (laughs) you have um, tremendously. And this is just, it's just wonderful. I mean, I just, I think of, you know, we're we're receiving some refugees in my community here, um, Ukrainian refugees. And, you know, I'm listening to the news and what you had said really resonated with me like people are asked asked where do you want to go or some of them aren't asked you know where do you want to go and off you go to a different country but i you know and all the newscasts are saying once somebody lands in poland it's like, do you want the bus to Germany, the bus to France, the bus to wherever? And that that's a that's a huge decision when you've just been through what they've what refugee has been through. And so to have um, a, a hello neighbor at the other end of that road when you arrive is just uh, remarkable. And and to have a community that um, understands the things that you're going through, I would imagine that eventually some of the refugees that you're supporting will then themselves become mentors to to new refugees. Um, I would imagine that sort of that cycle would probably play out in that particular way, or maybe it already has.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. It's it's really a you know a reminder. I always say that the slightest shift in the universe, just a slight degree, like left or right, and anybody could become a refugee or be displaced from their home. And if that were to happen, I would just want someone to treat me the way that we try to treat others.
0: Yep. Yes, with respect and kindness. Um, and also, as you had said, asking them what they need and letting them lead the way um, to where they need to go. I think that that's a really critical thing rather than us telling them what they need or what they, where they need to go. I think that's a really yeah. critical piece of it.
1: And not feeling forgotten. You know, I think we spend a lot of time a lot of time thinking about who gets to be where. We certainly do here in the US, and you know, I know mm-hmm. that we do in countries all around the world. Who gets to cross our borders? Who gets mm-hmm. to live here? Who gets to have the right to have rights mm-hmm. and to be documented and to be recognized? And then once they're here, good luck to you. And the path is really hard. And the way that I say it is you know, flawed as the American dream may be, I see it alive and well with the, sorry, with the immigrants and refugees that we serve. And so I just really want to make sure that people feel seen long after the media changes the lens and long after the politicians, you know, pick up a new issue and long after, you know, the communities of people shift to the next crisis. These are people that have a very long road ahead of them everywhere in the world every single Ukrainian has likely been separated from someone they love oftentimes it was a male in their household because all the men were conscripted a lot of elderly people people with pets people with a health issue a lot of people chose not to leave so you're talking about people that are facing incredible trauma the loss of their country the loss of their home the loss of being able to be around their family every day in some cases their immediate family and ex- extended the loss of their livelihood the loss of like who they felt like they were as a person and we can't forget them once some new world crisis emerges or something else happens i care very deeply about this issue i certainly hope that you have listeners here that care very deeply about other issues right like i i, I also I, you know climate change animal rescue women and girls right like there's so many things and there's room for all of us at this table and that's why neighborhood and community is so important we all can choose what we care deeply about and it doesn't have to be everybody's things all the time but I do collectively feel like if we each have something that we care deeply about then we all sort of can meet in the middle and that's what can make you know hopefully our community is a more welcoming and 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 wonderful place
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing this with us. I normally ask um, what advice you would give, but I think that you've given us a, a lot of advice, really great advice. Um, and um, I'm assuming that if people in Pittsburgh um, are interested in becoming uh, volunteers, they could reach out to you um, directly into um, your team in order to to be part of um, Hello Neighbor. Is that uh, something that's, and, and, and possible for them to? To just reach out directly to you
1: yeah, I would say actually people anywhere. So we do have, um, you know, in-person opportunities here in Pittsburgh, but we have lots of ways for people to get involved no matter where they are. So there's a couple of great ways to do that. One is we're hello neighbor HQ across all social media. So follow us. Um, like our content, we tell really good stories. We talk about campaigns we're running, you know, there's lots of ways to get involved and you can find me personally. I'm just my first name on most platforms, Sloan, S L O A N E on Twitter, on Instagram, on other places. So follow along and, you know, spark the conversation and and we'd love to have more people involved in Hello Neighbor.
0: Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Sloan. Um, I would like to just um, comment that um, uh, Hello, neighbor, really contributes to so many of the Sustainable Development Goals, um, you know, one through seventeen. So we won't shout out any particular one, but in in various touch points, um, Hello, neighbor, touches all of the Sustainable Development Goals. So um, I really would love to thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, thank you so much for the wonderful work um, that you're doing in Pittsburgh and my hometown, and uh, I just like I just love you and I love what you're doing and I. <laughs> can't wait to come and, and meet you, um, in Pittsburgh, uh, one of these days and, and, and help contribute to, to the local community there and to meet some of the refugees and, and give back to the community also. So thank you for going back and doing doing um, this wonderful work. Um, Really appreciate it. And I'm sure that the refugees are just, um, uh, just so lucky to have your organization um, to as they land in Pittsburgh and, and uh, begin this new journey with very challenging and difficult journey, um, as you've uh, rightly pointed out. So thank you very much for taking the time really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. And I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning into the Women 17 podcast, Conversations with Global Women Changing the World, One Sustainable Development Goal at a Time. We welcome your feedback from today's podcast and wish you a happy and safe, productive day.